This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. All right, let's get to work tonight. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 2. And I want to pick up tonight with verse number 11. This is where we left off last week. And I hope that this is definitely a blessing to your heart. It's, it's a challenge to me, a blessing, yes. A challenge to prepare it. and But it's it's... It's, I would say, as essential for me to refresh myself in these truths. There's so many things that jump out of the scriptures, and, and I don't recall right off the bat uh, what month it was when we started, but you can see we're just even uh, in the infant's stage of this study uh, to only be in chapter 2 and verse number 11. But let's read that scripture, and then we'll get to work with it. The Bible says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Remember now we're talking about seven churches of Asia Minor. Seven of them. They were, they were periods of time, local New Testament congregations in various different uh, regions and representing different uh, time periods as well. All right. He that overcometh, shall not be hurt of the second death. All right. So it says, let him hear what the Spirit saith. I asked you this question last Wednesday night, and I want to ask you again. Um, do you honestly, genuinely feel that the Holy Spirit speaks to you? Well, I'm sure you're saying, well, Pastor, I've never heard the Holy Spirit speak to me, I can assure you he won't do it in an audible way. But there are many different ways that the Holy Spirit will speak to you. You know, the Spirit of God can take a, an assembly like this. He can take a moment like this on a Wednesday night and something could happen in the service that you were blessed, immensely blessed with it and you you got a chill. You you got uh, it, something just came over you, and and you were touched. You were blessed. Well, see, the Spirit of God can speak to you and work in you and with you just in this setting. The Spirit of God can speak to you when you open the the book and you read the scriptures. The Spirit of God can speak to you when you pray. Something will be embedded upon your heart and you can't shake it. That's usually, usually the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can speak to you through the circumstances of your day. There's a variety of things and ways that the Holy Spirit can speak to you. None of us will be summoned to a burning bush. Those, those kind of things were for a season, and God operated in those functions and those types of things for its season. God speaks to us now in a various type of way, primarily through his word. But the question is this, if you really were going to be honest with yourself, when would you say was the last time that the spirit of the living God spoke to you. That's very important. Let him 
the scripture says, that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, again, I remind you there's seven churches. These are seven churches in Asia Minor. Now, something interesting in this passage. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. If Jesus tarries his coming, and I want to explain that phrase to you because I'm sure you're not hearing that phrase tonight for the very first time. I've heard that said ever since I was a child. And for the longest time, I really never understood it growing up. But I would hear preachers talk about that all the time. If Jesus tarries his coming. Now, when we look at it from God's perspective... God knows exactly when Jesus is coming again. That's that's not a mystery to God. He knows. But the word says we don't know and not even the angels in heaven know. God is the only one that knows. So here's the thing. When we say if Jesus tarries his coming, from God's perspective, he knows when it is. But from our perspective, we don't. We watch and we wait for his coming. The word teaches us to look for the blessed hope. Over and over again, Jesus says in the word that he will come again. But the point being is this, that I cannot say with surety and I cannot say with any definitiveness nor can you when my time is going to be and when your time is going to be. But we do know this. According to the scriptures, the Bible says, it's appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment. So if Jesus tarries his coming, and that doesn't mean if he's dragging his feet or if he's delinquent, if he if he's being slow on the job, that's not what that means at all. God knows it's an appointed time. But if for some reason, if, if, if the Lord, and he could come in the next breath, you have to believe his coming is imminent. But if he doesn't come in the next 50 years, that's a very hypothetical and it's very unrealistic. Because this world is on a head on collision course with God Almighty. This I don't see how in the world it can spin on its axis for another 50 years the way that, that this world is turned out to be. But that's not for me to decide or judge. But if, and, and, I, and I say that with great emphasis on the hypothetical, if he doesn't come for the next 50 years, there's, there's a high probability that most of us, if we know the Lord is our Savior, most of us 50 years from now will be in heaven. And from an earthly perspective, if we say, if Jesus tarries his coming, that is a hypothetical reality. Some of us may, may be here. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm not trying to give you anything spooky. But this thing about the second death is really important because the scripture says, as it's appointed unto men once to die, and after that the judgment. But the scripture's talking about a second death. How can we die a second death? 
It's like Nicodemus when he came to the Lord at night and Jesus was talking to him about the plan of salvation. And he said, you must be born again. Nicodemus couldn't get it. He said, how can a man enter into his mother's womb again and be born the second time? Jesus wasn't talking about that, but that's the way he took it. Now, so whether it was the new birth being born again a second time, Jesus went through that and explained it. Now we come to this, this discussion about a second death. Now I want you to look at it. It's like this. If a person is only born once, if all he has is a physical birth, and he does not know the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior, and they're not born again. In the reference of Jesus to Nicodemus, if he's not born again, if a person enters this world and they're only born once, then they will die twice. They will die a physical death. Do you remember when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden? God said that the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, they ate the fruit, and we know that they did not immediately drop dead. So, in the garden, God was in reference to a two-phase of death. You're going to die spiritually, and because of this, you're going to die physically. Now, I want you to think with me, because if a person goes through this world and never gives their heart to Jesus, they are never born again. They do not have two births. They're only born once. If that happens, listen carefully. If a person is only born once, he will die twice. He will die physically, and he will die spiritually. Listen to this. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The scripture when Paul was writing for the wages of sin is death, that word death there is not talking about a physical death. The connotation, and if you keep this in context, it's talking about a spiritual death. For the wages of sin is death. And that death is talking about an eternal separation from God. That's how a person dies twice, to be eternally separated from God. Now, does that mean that they just don't exist anymore? Absolutely not. That's what the Jehovah's Witness teach. They, they believe that when a person dies, that if they don't make it into the 144,000, that they just stop existing. That's not what that means. I mean, it's, it's one or the other. A person is saved or he's lost. He's going to spend eternity in heaven with God or he's going to spend eternity in hell with the devil. It's one or the other. So again now, if a person is only born once, he will die twice. But if a person is born twice, physically and spiritually, then if Jesus tarries his coming, he will only die 
ones. And that's the physical death. As the scripture talks about, it's appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment. In fact, I want you to see um, this in John chapter 3, and I want to read for you verses 3 and 7. Jesus was giving this very clearly to Nicodemus. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Marvel not, I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And Hebrews 9, 27, the scripture that we have been referencing, and is it appointed unto men once to die, but after that, the judgment. All right? And so, if a person is only going to be born one time physically into this world, he's going to be at the judgment where he is going to have, ultimately at the great white throne, have the sentence of eternal damnation upon his uh, immortal soul. Now, Coming back to this now, the second death refers to the lake of fire being eternally separated from God. And I want to give you the scripture for this in Revelation chapter 20. I'm going to call your attention to verse number 10 and 14, 10 through 14. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. There's a lot of people walking on this earth today that does not believe in a literal hell. They don't believe in a literal devil. But I want you to know that the devil is just as real as God. God is just as real as devil. Heaven is just as real as hell. It was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And look at this. And shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. I want to pause here just for a moment and ask you to reflect with me. You know the story about the rich man and Lazarus. You know what the Bible says that when the rich man died, he went to hell. And the Bible says that in hell, and this is what I want you to understand, because when people die and go to hell, it's just not, it's, it's not just a, a oblivious situation where you're just missing out on heaven forever. That's not the way that it works. This rich man, when he died, he had all of his faculties. He had all of his senses. The Bible says in hell, he lifted. Okay, you have to have a brain wave to lift. Something in, in your brain tells you to look down. Something in your brain tells you to look up. In hell, his brain was working. Well, preacher, how in the world can a person be in a lake of fire being burned forever and ever, tormented day and night, and have all these... I, there's tons of stuff I can't explain to you, but that's what the Word says, and I believe it by faith. So this rich man who died and went to hell, listen, he lifted his eyes. So not only did he have a brain that controlled his movements, but also... He had sight. He could see. He lifted his eyes. Being, he could feel pain. Being in torment is what the word says. He not only had a brain wave to where he could control his body movements, but he had memory. The scripture says he died and went to hell. He lifted up his eyes, being in torment. 
and said, Father Abraham. He said, I've got five brothers. First of all, he said, would you dip your finger in water? Just put a drop of water on my tongue. He had a mouth. And he said, and cool my tongue. Why? He said, because I am tormented in this flame. Then he had the ability to reason. He said, I have five brothers. He said, I pray that you would send somebody, God would send somebody back to my brothers and warn them. They don't want to come here. Tell them to receive the Lord, to believe in God. And you remember what Abraham said? They can't. There's nobody that can do that, sir. Because there's a great gulf fixed between us. You cannot leave where you are and go anywhere else. And right now we cannot do that either. That's another subject, another lesson. Abraham's bosom. My point is that in hell, and the scripture says, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. When people die or experience the second death, they are tormented forever and ever. And the scripture says, let's read this. Go to verse 11. And I saw a great white throne. This is important because there will not be one saved person at the great white throne. I love good music, but I love good music that that is saturated with pure doctrine. And sometimes when I hear songs that have it so far in the ditch um, to a place where you it, it's really uh, almost heresy, um, it, that bothers me. No matter how good the lyrics and the melodies are and harmonies and so forth, uh, but I like for the song to be doctrinally sound. Uh, with with effort. Things are not perfect, but with effort. And I've heard many people say, many Christians I've heard say this in my my life. They said, when, when we all get to heaven and we all march around the great white throne, that's not true. The great, there will not be one saved person at the judgment of the great white throne. Not one. The believer's judgment is the judgment seat of Christ. The great white throne is the judgment for the lost. That's important. And we, we, we got to keep these things in context. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place. Look at that. No place for them. Absolutely not. In verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Look at this. This is the second death. 
So when we come to Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 11, he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Now let's look at this. As a believer, as a born-again child of God, we're going to go through various kinds of persecutions. There have been some wonderful, precious, dear saints of God in our church. I look back over these years, we're getting ready to celebrate. And, And we've had some precious people that have come to church under adverse circumstances. I mean, adverse. They, they've, they've had wives that weren't saved or they've had husbands that weren't saved and, and people have walked in those doors leaving behind cursing and, and abuse of all sorts. And, and they, they left an environment that was almost controlled and possessed by demons. And, and they got into a car. They cried all the way to church. Somebody kind and sweet met them in the lobby. And they brushed tears away. They came in here and sat down, heard the singing. And somehow God was able to maneuver in their hearts. And they were able to, for that moment, that period of time, shut it down, shut it out. But I knew. And they knew that when the last amen took place, they'd get back in that car and they'd go right back to the lion's den. And people came and come, even now, from all sorts of things. God's people have always been persecuted for the precious name of Jesus. And the horrendous challenges that are before us today This word overcometh here. I don't think we've seen the likes of what it takes up until the days that we live right now to really get the full perspective on this thing about overcoming, persevering for the cause of the gospel. I I don't know that any of us will be martyred for our faith. Uh, I, I I don't believe that any of us, like, these New Testament early Christians were burned at the stake. They were stoned to death. They were savagely fed to starving wild beasts. All kinds of martyrdoms. I don't know that we will ever see that. I'm not going to rule it out, but I I don't know that it would get... uh, I don't know that anybody would throw us in an arena right now, but that's yet to be seen. But my point is this. There is always a price to pay for the cause of Christ. Always. And, in fact, if you're going to stand for the Lord, you're going to bear some type of persecution. Overcoming is a very important thing our faith, and, and this is sort of like a sidebar, and this is like another message in a different context. But our faith sometimes is going to be challenged to the place to where it's it's going to be important where we line up, where we stand. The issues that we 
are passionate about, the testimony of our lives, those, those things are so important. Now, 1 Peter 4.16 says this, and I, this is a scripture that I'd like for you to remember. You might even want to write it down uh, somewhere beside verse number 11. It says, if you suffer, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. And again, don't forget the time that this was written and the unbelievable persecution that the infant church was going through. If any man suffer, but it's also applicable for us today. As a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory by God on this behalf. So I want you to take a stand as a Christian in these last days. I want you to let your voice be heard uh, because I'm telling you, the voice of the liberals are, are very active today, very strong. They're everywhere you turn. And uh, here's, and I'm not a politician, but I got enough sense to know that the course that this world is on right now, uh, it's on a head on collision course with God. I told you the other day that there's so much being thrown at Christianity right now, belittling Christianity and Christians, people of faith. I, my, my, my father was raised as a Roman Catholic. He, he got saved out of Catholicism. But we were fortunate enough many, many years ago, I had him speak for me on a Wednesday night, I believe it was Sunday night, I don't remember exactly. I let him share his testimony, how he was delivered uh, from the Roman Catholic Church, how he was born again. And, but I will say this about the Catholics today. They're going through some persecution themselves. So there's a lot of things that I totally disagree with in the realm of Catholicism. But I, but here's the main thing. When it comes to stuff like this, even though there are major doctrinal differences, what they're doing to Catholics, what this liberal world is doing to Catholics right now, it's disgraceful. We, we're living now in the times where people don't care what Christians think and how Christians feel. Did you hear what Madonna said today? You know who Madonna is? You ever heard of Madonna? This is what she said. She said, I don't think it's right. Now, get this. I don't think it's right for people to say what they think. then why did she just say that? Right? If she's saying, I don't think it's right for people to say what they think, then why is she entitled to think what she felt and say it? But this is the point. They want us to be submissive to the liberalization of this world, all of these anti-God things they want us to just deal with it we don't have to and not doing it it's going to cause us some persecution like i told you the other day you do what you want to i'm not telling you what to do but gail and i we're not going into target anymore listen you don't need a soapbox you may not even need a t-shirt I'm not asking you to take a sign and walk down the streets, but I'm telling you this. If you proclaim 
yourself to be a child of God, you ought not to be ashamed of it. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I believe it is, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right. Man. Look at, well, yeah, let's look at that. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also the Greek. How true that is. Let me give you one more scripture tonight. It's 803. Verse 12. Okay, so we're coming out of the church of Smyrna, and now we're going into the church of Pergamos. In verse number 12, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he, which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Now again, this is Jesus speaking. He's got a sword with two edges. The church at Pergamos was dealing with much more intensified idolatry. But you know and I know that this sharp sword, as we read here with two edges, is none other than the word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, in verse number 12, the scripture says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, I will mention something about verse number 13 as we close the study for tonight. And again, this is this is really one of those hair-raising passages. The Lord is saying, I know thy works and where thou dwellest. Look at this. Even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days where in Antipas, we're going to talk about him a little bit next week, was my faithful martyr who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. That's, that's a powerful scripture, and we'll leave off with this tonight and get into that next week. That's a great study in a few verses and a few words. Amen. Praise the Lord. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.